0: Let's turn now to 2nd John. This is one of the briefest of the letters of the New Testament, but uh, a very very helpful letter. And it's brief enough that I hope all of you have read it through this afternoon, and this can give us a little time, more time perhaps with the text of it than we've been able to do in some of these other studies in these through the Bible book by book. <coughs> This second letter of John is uh, written to a woman The only letter in the New Testament written to a woman And uh, as we can gather from the letter itself It was written to a mother A woman with several children, perhaps a widow And it looks as though she had written to the Apostle John To ask his opinion about certain problems that had come up You remember back in those days The New Testament was not available, such as we have it now. And the leaders of the church, or the churches, were dependent upon certain itinerant men who went around from place to place and preached the truth. These were called prophets, and uh, the New Testament refers constantly to them. And uh, prophets and evangelists and so forth. And evidently, some of these men had come to the home of this woman. We don't know where she lived, though it was likely that she lived in the city of Ephesus, where John was associated for so long. And uh, uh, they had raised certain doctrinal matters that she was disturbed about. And not knowing quite how to handle it, she did the wise thing. She wrote to the apostle John and asked for his counsel and this is the letter which uh, he re, uh, that he returned to her to answer her questions and as we go through this letter we'll see how it answers the questions of many of us today especially the question what to do about people how do you treat people who teach wrong things some of you may have had uh, answered your doorbell one day and found somebody standing there with a little green volume tucked under their arms and they announced to you that they were come to uh, talk to you about the Bible they were Bible students and they wanted to come in and talk with you and perhaps after considerable talk if you let them in you discovered that they were Jehovah's Witnesses and they wanted to uh, sign you up for some Bible courses and it all sounded very good but something made you a bit suspicious and uh, uh, having heard what they were, you decided that uh, this is not for you, but you didn't know quite how to handle them. Well, this is the uh, kind of a situation that the letter of Second John covers, and I think this will be helpful to us as we go through it. This is so brief that I'm going to just read through the letter and comment on it as we go along, and I think this will help us. Uh, the first six verses uh, present the problem to us and give us kind of a... Uh, the approach of the apostle to this problem the woman wrote about. The elder, as John terms himself, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children following the truth, just as we have been commanded by the Father. And now I beg you, lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we follow his commandments. This is the commandment, as you have heard from the beginning, that you follow love. Now, you see what John is doing, he's setting the stage for the answer of this lady's problem. And he's gathering together two things that must be taken into consideration when you face a problem of this kind. And it centers around two outstanding words that are used all through the text. What are they? Truth is the first, isn't it? And love. Truth and love. And you notice how he gathers the two together in verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. And this ought to be the characteristic of Christians. In, the, in the Paul's letter, in Ephesians, he says the same thing. A Christian should learn, he says, to speak the truth in love. And the remarkable thing of a Christian life is to gather these apparently opposing things in some respect together and keep them in balance. Now that's our problem. Uh, Many Christians emphasize one at the expense of the other. There are certain Christians and Christian groups that, that emphasize truth. And they're always centering in on doctrinal matters and concerned that the scriptures be followed carefully. But they do so at the expense of love. And they're rigid and cold and judgmental and uh, snappish and uh, cruel even sometimes in the thing, in the way they say things. Now they're What they say is usually quite good They're trying to defend The truth of God But they do so at the expense of love On the other hand There are those Christians Who make the mistake of of, uh, Emphasizing love At the expense of truth And they feel That uh, you should accept Everyone and everything And be tolerant In all directions And be courteous and kind and accepting of anyone and everything that comes to you. And thus they cut out the truth and emphasize love. And these form the poles around which most Christians gather today, one or the other of these groups. Uh, the second group remind me of the of the story Dr. H.A. Ironside used to tell about the man who came to a church and on the way out shaking hand with the pastor one Sunday morning he said to him oh pastor I want to tell you what a blessing you've been to me since you've come to be pastor of this church why he said when I first started here I didn't, I didn't have any regard for God, man or the devil but he says since you came I've learned to love all three and there are those who uh, carry you see acceptance and charity to the degree of accepting anything or everyone now the problem is to keep it in balance and this is what you see so beautifully in the Lord Jesus he walked in truth and love he could deal with tenderness with the with the dissolute sinner the outcast from society that came to him And how tenderly he spoke to them and dealt with them. And he could scorch a Pharisee till he made him turn red with shame. With a blistering word that just revealed all that was the rottenness in that man's inner life. Uh, He spoke the truth. And he dealt in love. And he kept them all in perfect balance. And that's the problem of the Christian life. Now John says if you're going to handle the problem of doctrinal error. Do so in truth and love. Emphasize both. And that's very important. A lot of people who read this letter never seem to read these opening words, and thus they miss the sanity of balance that pervades the letter. Now look at the next section, verses 7 through 11. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, men who will not acknowledge the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Look to yourselves that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Anyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you, and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into the house or give him any greeting. For he who greets him shares his wicked work. And there's the, the answer to the lady's question. How do you handle a person? Well, first you have to recognize the nature of his error. And there are two things said here to describe the fundamental errors of Christianity or Christian perversions. There are are only two. All Christian error and heresy gathers about one or the other of these types of error. There are, first of all, those who are deceived about the person of the Lord Jesus. There's only, there's one sign of the true uh, Redeemer and Savior. It's the one who came from God into the world and became man. The incarnation is an essential doctrine to Christian faith. It's the mark of the, of the one sent to be the savior of the world. You see, if you can trace a man's ancestry from his birth, and you know that he came into the world as the rest of us did in no, no distinctions at all, that he entered this human stream just exactly as we did through the normal reproductive faculties, and he claims to be a savior he or she, then write it off, because uh, that is not God's Redeemer, God's Savior. Nor if he claims not to uh, believe or accept this teaching concerning the incarnation of the Lord Jesus, then the man is in error, no matter what else he may say. He's not speaking as the representative and spokesman of God. All through the New Testament letters, you'll find these mighty apostles of our Lord set this incarnation, the word becoming flesh, God becoming man at the center of Christian theology. And everything else gathers around that, the person of the Lord Jesus. And John says, if he doesn't say that, then no matter what else he may say, he's a deceiver. He may be deceived as well as being a deceiver, but he's an anti-Christ. He's against the doctrines of Jesus, and therefore he he is to be recognized for what he is, a man who is mistaken and who is trying to deceive others. Now, these apostles are very clear on this, aren't they? You notice how forthrightly John puts it, many deceivers have gone out into the world. This was anticipated by other of the apostles and confirmed here by the apostle John. Now, there's another type of error, however. Not only those that gather about the uh, false position as to the person of the Lord Jesus, but also error that gathers around a misunderstanding or a false conception of the teaching of the Lord Jesus. You get that in verse 9. Anyone who goes ahead... And it's an interesting word here, goes beyond and does not abide in the doctrine, the teaching of Christ, does not have God. And that's very revealing. That takes care, you see, of all these groups that say the Bible is not an adequate revelation of God. We need something else. We need the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Christ. We need certain uh, Hindu revelations and scriptures in order to fully understand God. No, no, says John. If anyone goes beyond what has been given and does not abide in the doctrine, the teaching about Christ and of Christ, then he's not of God. He may be very persuasive, he may be very sincere, and he may be a great personality, but recognize this as the test. If he does, if he does not abide in the doctrine, then he's not of God. There are today, of course, as you know, many people who say that, uh, uh, the teachings of the Scriptures are, are too infantile for us. Modern man has grown beyond all this. It cannot any longer accept these simplistic teachings of the Bible. But, uh, uh, modern the modern mind must uh, find satisfaction in more scientific approaches and it cannot rest upon these simple things. Well that's another example of exactly what John is talking about. Someone who goes beyond, departs from uh, considers uh, the revelation of Jesus as too simple too infantile and thus uh, tries to add something to the teachings of the word of God. Now those are the two types of error that exist. And all error or heresy. Or apostasy in Christian circles. Can be gathered around those two. Now notice what the danger is here. The danger is set forth in verse 8. What will happen to you. If you, if you fall in with this kind of thing. Well says John. Look to yourselves. That you may not lose. What you have worked for but may win a full reward. What do you lose as a Christian? If you get involved in these cults and heresies and uh, liberal approaches that are so abundant today, will you lose your salvation? Not if you're really born again, of course. That rests upon the work of Christ for you. You're not going to lose your place in heaven or your redemption or your part in the body of Christ. But you do lose something, a great deal in fact. As John makes clear, what you lose is the value of your life spent here. You waste your time. You're throwing away precious moments and precious years involved in that which is utterly worthless and which will be displayed at last as wood, hay and stubble to be consumed in the fire of God's searching gaze you'll lose your reward you remember how all through the new testament these possibilities are brought before us in the letter to the in the book of revelation uh, the apostle john there says something similar he says beware lest any man take your crown these crowns these these symbols of authority and of honor which are given to those who have made themselves available to the work of God, who have given their life, presented their bodies, a living sacrifice for God to work through you. If you get involved in something that is grounded upon false teaching, then all your efforts, and they may be very extensive, very sincere, are wasted. Because you're building nothing but an imposing facade Which may look very good But which at the end crumbles And uh, finds no acceptance before God Well then What do you do about people like this? And now come these uh, Interesting verses here Verse 11, 10 and 11 If anyone comes to you And does not bring this doctrine Do not receive him into the house Or give him any greeting or he who greets him shares his wicked work. Now let us read that, remembering what John has said about truth and love. It's so easy for us to, who are concerned about the, the doctrinal matters of Scripture to forsake for the moment the courtesy and the charity that is respected of, expected of every Christian. And to read a passage like this As though it meant we're to slam the door in the face Of someone who stands at our door And offers us some of these heretical ideas Or that we're to order them out of the house The minute they bring up some kind of teaching Now if that were the case uh, It would be impossible even to have uh, uh, Foreign students into our home who held another faith, if this is what John means, if what he means is that as soon as we discover that someone is not a Christian, we're not to let him in the house, or having once got in, we're to order him out. (laughs) We're going to be very offensive people, aren't we? We could never have extend any friendship to those of another religion who may be visiting in our country. And if you take this in that crassly literal fashion, You'll find yourself acting in defense of the truth, but not manifesting anything of the grace of love. Well, then what does he mean? Well, he means that truth should be uh, uttered in love, and love should be bounded by truth. And that in uh, the practical carrying out of these things, uh, we're not to... Receive these people in such a way as to imply that we're we're, uh, uh, that we're uh, authenticating and advocating their teaching. You see, in those days, motels were non-existent, and inns were very few and far between. And when these teachers went about, they stayed in private homes. Now, when they went into a private home, if they were discovered, or were guilty of false teaching, and the person continued to open his home to them. He would be an endorsing. He would be endorsing their doctrine, and this is what John is talking about. He's saying, "Don't treat them in such a way that you appear to endorse what they believe." But now, this doesn't rule out the need for common courtesy or for a, a gracious approach uh, to uh, the person, or for the meeting of emergency needs. After all, the parable of the Good Samaritan is made very clear that if somebody uh, is in need, it doesn't make any difference who he is, what, what his teaching is, what his belief is. We're to help him and meet that need, and succor him in his illness or weakness or... or uh, Uh, attack whatever it may be Uh, nor does this mean that we're not to have uh, that we're to order them out of their our homes how could you have a home Bible class if that were the case if you had to shut out everybody that came in that had uh, did not hold the doctrine of Christ you'd have to grill them at the door when they came in and ask them to sign a doctrinal statement before you'd let them in well you see that would be defeating the very purpose Of a home Bible class No, no John's concern is that we simply do not appear to be endorsing what they believe And as long as we can make it clear That we are treating them graciously, thoughtfully, kindly As fellow human beings But definitely not endorsing the ideas that they may have that are wrong Then it's perfectly proper for us to uh, have uh, some kind of contact with them Even a degree of friendship of of sorts. But uh, we're not to share in their wicked work. Not to greet them in that way. That's the uh, idea that John sets before us. Now notice how he underscores the importance of this in his closing verses. He says to her, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink but I hope to come to see you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. It was difficult to write letters in those days, and mails were uncertain, and I suppose the Apostle John, like most of us, found it difficult to sit down and write letters. And so he said, I, I'd like to say a lot more to you, but I'm not going to write it. I'd rather see you face to face. The Greek is interesting here. It's mouth to mouth. Stoma to stoma I want to talk to you mouth to mouth He says But uh, I'm not going to write But But And this is the reason for the letter This matter is so important That I have taken the time to write it Anyhow There are a lot of other things That I'd like to discuss But certainly I could not wait about this I want you to understand well, How to handle these this problem Of these who come around face to face And then he Extends greetings from another Christian family, evidently that he's staying with, and thus underscores the need in Christian lives for both truth and love. Let's pray that uh, our that we may so uh, speak and deal with others that uh, we will up we will manifest the graciousness and the gentleness of Christ. Remember how Paul puts it. If a brother be overtaken in a fault, or if someone has strayed from the truth, he says, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle and understanding. This is no uh, encouragement here to rigidity and narrowness and bigotry and saying hateful and reviling things. Sometimes when I read Christian literature today From some of these uh, Fundamentalist camps It makes me, it reminds me of the Of the poem I knew as a boy The gingham dog and the calico cat Did any of you ever hear that? I, I don't remember just how it goes But I remember how it ended They ate each other up And I'm afraid that that's what's about to happen With some of these Christian groups So called in their approach to one another Well, let's not be that way, rigid, judgmental, scorching, and uh, we need to display love. But on the other hand, our love must not be so wide, so broad, so tolerant that it excludes the great fact that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. No other one has come. No other Savior has been sent. He alone is the answer to humanity's hopelessness. And if we can declare it with that beautiful balance of truth and love that is found in the Lord Jesus, we'll discover that uh, the same accompaniment that followed his ministry will follow ours. As he said to his disciples, if they have received my word, they will receive yours. And if they have rejected my word, they'll reject yours as well. And that's where John leaves Well let's stand and uh, we'll be dismissed in prayer And then you can go you college and high school young people to the sing And the rest of you can go home And uh, take off your shoes and relax Our Father we thank you for this look at uh, Life in that first century And find it so little different from life in our own Some of the mechanical things different But the human reactions exactly the same and we pray that you'll teach us to be gracious and characterized by truth and love, both of these. Not be narrow-minded, rigid fundamentalists dotting the I and crossing the T and insisting that everyone else do it exactly as we. But at the same time, not being so broad and so tolerant that we have undermined the great, the great truth of God. We thank you for this letter. Teach us to walk in its light. In Jesus' name, amen.